when you have to introduce yourself to somebody, what do you say? I bet you give your name, and you might tell the person, depending on who it is, where you're from. Uh, Maybe you share with them your occupation. Or maybe you give them a little information about your family. Introductions for me have always been a little complicated, especially when I'm back home because I am Joseph Franklin Horton IV. And so when I introduce myself to people who might know my family, I have to differentiate between my dad and my granddad. My granddad is Junior and they call him Joe, and my dad is the third and they call him Joey. And I'm the fourth, and they call me Joseph. You got that straight? All right. That's how I sometimes have to introduce myself. You know, sometimes introductions end up being a little awkward and a little humorous. I remember, um, I may have shared this before, my first date with Lauren, I took her to a family July 4th gathering. Now, that's uh, pretty romantic, right? To drag her to meet the family on the first date. Uh, hopefully I've learned some things since then, but we go into my grandparents' house and my great-grandmother is there. We called her Mom Louise and she was 96 years old and her eyesight was failing and uh, I take Lauren over to her and I say, Mom Louise, I want you to meet my friend. It's first date. My friend Lauren and she's here with us tonight. And Mom Louise said, I am so, it's good to meet you, Joseph. I'm so glad you finally found somebody. I was 18, but she was thankful that after all those years, I had finally found somebody. She didn't even know I had found somebody, but actually she ended up being right. I found my future wife. Some introductions are cruel. When Eleanor Roosevelt, wife of our 32nd President Franklin Roosevelt was a young child. Her mother did not think that she was very pretty. Her mother was recognized as being a very attractive lady, but she was not very pleased with the looks of her daughter. And so she gave her daughter a nickname. And she would often introduce her by this nickname. The nickname was Granny. She would say, this is Granny. To other people. And that negatively affected Eleanor Roosevelt's life for many years to come. Caused her a lot of grief. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, and this is where we're going to camp out this morning, so you may want to grab a Bible and go there. 1 Samuel 1. In the first couple verses, the Bible wants to make some introductions. The Scriptures want us to meet some folks. The Bible says, come here, come around here, let me introduce you to some people. Here, first of all, I want you to meet Elkanah. This gentleman, Elkanah, he's from over uh, in the country of Ramah in the hills in that area. His dad was Jeroham. His granddad was Elihu. This is Elkanah. And I want you also to meet the wives, the two wives of Elkanah. The first is uh, Hannah. Here, Hannah, come forward. I I want you to meet... Uh, this lady, Elkanah married her first. And then this is his second wife. Her name is Penina. And I want you to meet this family. Well, it's really good to meet you. Are there any children in the family? Well, yes, there are several uh, children. Um, Penina and Elkanah 
have several sons and daughters, but actually Hannah does not have any children. Uh, In fact, she can't have children. Hannah had no children. That is from the Scriptures. 1 Samuel 1 and verse 2. That's how Hannah is introduced to us. That's how Hannah is defined. Now, I know it's Mother's Day, and we, it's a wonderful day. We celebrate our moms, but I know there's also the knowledge of loss. For those of you whose mother may no longer be living. For those of you who have lost a child. Maybe for those of you who have never been able to have children. There are people gathered here today who know of the pain and the anguish of Hannah. She is introduced to us in the Scriptures as someone who could have no children. In the next few verses, we get an inside look at this family, Elkanah and his two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. We see in verse 3 that they would every year, travel to the holy city of Shiloh in order to worship God and sacrifice to His name. And we learn from verses 4 and 5 that Elkanah favored Hannah. He, from the sacrifice, would give portions, some of the portions to his wife Peninnah and to uh, the children that he had by her. But he, verse 5 says, would give to Hannah a double portion because he loved her even though the Lord had closed her womb. He favored Hannah. Hannah was special to him, so he would shower a few more blessings on her. And for this reason, because he favored Hannah, and because Hannah was not able to have children, Peninnah, the other wife, treats Hannah very unkindly, is very cruel to her. She would, the Scriptures say, provoke her grievously to irritate her. And as a result of all this, Hannah... She is weighed down with great sadness. Now, Elkanah, as husbands try to do from time to time, Elkanah does his very best to comfort his wife. He says in verse 8, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? We learned earlier that Hannah uh, is, is often found crying and she does not have an appetite. And so Elkanah says, Why is your heart so sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? He does his very best to comfort his wife, but to no avail. But as they're in the holy city of Shiloh, Hannah, out of her grief, out of her sadness, she takes some really bold action. And I want you to check this out in verses 9 and 10. She goes up to the temple. She's deeply distressed in verse 10. And she begins praying to the Lord and weeping bitterly. And here's what she says to God, verse 11. She vowed a vow. And she said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, if you will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall ever touch his head. Now, a little history here. It seems that Hannah is dedicating her son as a Nazarite, which was a way to 
really be devoted in a special way to God in Old Testament times. But we don't need to get stuck in the weeds on that issue. The big headline that we need to hear coming from these verses is this. If God gives Hannah a son, she is asking him for a son. She says she will give him back over to the purposes of God. Now that is bold for this young woman, this childless young woman named Hannah. That's a bold step for her to take. Uh, It's courageous to say to God, God, if you give me what I yearn for most, then I will turn around and I'll give it right back to you. That is a brazen prayer. And what we learn here about the character of Hannah is this. Hannah, she understands where children come from. She gets it. And now this is not going to launch us into a talk about the birds and the bees. Now what I mean by this is Hannah understands, as the psalmist said, that children are a heritage from the Lord. She knows where to go when she wants a child. She asks God to give her one. She knows that children come from God, that they are a gift from God. Children are a heritage from the Lord, says Psalm 127 and verse 3. And the fruit of the, of the womb is a reward from Him. She knows that it's God who forms the inward parts of children. It's God who knits them together in their mother's womb, as the psalmist says in 139. It is God who knows the number of days set before them before even the first one begins. Hannah knows whose kids these are. Have you ever had the experience when your kids are acting up and you say, Who, whose kids are these over here? I don't, I've never seen them before. Uh, sometimes maybe your spouse will say, you know what your kid did today when they've acted up? I've, you know, Lauren said that to me before. Guess what your kid did? You know, the house is a wreck. It was your children. Whose kids are these? Hannah knows whose kids these are. All kids are God's kids. And therefore, in her mind, because children are a gift and a blessing that that, that come from the Lord, therefore, they should be given back over to His will. This is how Hannah thinks. She has a very God-centered view of life and all that life brings with it. And she understands that children, children come from God. Now, after her vow, this very bold vow that she makes before God, Hannah encounters Eli, the priest, in verses 12 through 18. Eli thinks that she has come up into the temple drunk because she is praying so fervently. Her mouth is moving but no sound is coming out. She's praying from her heart. So he rebukes her. How dare you come up into the house of the Lord drunk? And she says, no, no, sir, that is not the case. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. I am here pouring my soul out before the Lord. I am in great distress and anguish, and I'm praying to God. I'm asking him to bless me. You know what Eli does? The priest, he blesses her. He says in verse 17, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to Him. And then look at what happens. Verses 19 and 20. If you're there with me, you can follow along. They, meaning Hannah and her family, Elkanah, Peninnah, all the rest, all the children, they're in Shiloh, they're about to go back home. They rose early in the morning, they worshiped the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. 
And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. And the Lord remembered her. The Lord remembered what she, remembered what she had asked of him. Verse 20, And in due time Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Now some scholars believe that Samuel means the offspring of God. So in the naming of this child, she gives credit where credit is due. She says, this child has come to me as a direct result of God's goodness. It's a gift from God. I am enjoying the birth and the presence of this son because of God. He is God's kid. He is the very offspring of God. So the baby is here. Hannah has yearned for this moment. She has dreamed of this moment for years and years, longed for it, and now the baby has arrived. And so I'm wondering as I read the story, wonder if Hannah had second thoughts about the vow she made. You know the vow that said, if you give me a child, I'll give him over to your service, Lord. Wonder if she had second thoughts as she carried this child within her. I wonder if she had any second thoughts when she birthed him into the world. I wonder if she had any second thoughts as they made first contact when she held him close and she heard his cries. That sweet sound of a baby's cry that she had long wanted to hear. I wonder if she had any second thoughts. As she nursed that baby, as she was up in the night walking around with him to try to calm him down. I wonder if she had any second thoughts as she listened to his coos, as she stared into his face. I wonder if she thought, I think I'm just going to keep him to myself. I mean, surely God's not going to mind. I mean, God of all people knows that I've been wanting this for a very long time. Surely God's not going to care if I just renege a little bit on my vow to Him. Surely He won't mind if I just keep Him here with me in Ramah instead of taking Him back to the house of God at Shiloh. But you know what? It sounds as if Hannah never once wavered from her vow. When he is born, we see that Elkanah and the rest plan as they did year by year to go back to Shiloh to sacrifice, to worship God. But verse 22, it says, Hannah did not go up and she said to her husband, as soon as this child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Hannah is resolute. Hannah says, I made a vow to God. I made a deal with the Lord and I am not going to back out of that. God has blessed me with a child. He has kept his end of the bargain. I will keep mine. I'm taking this child and dedicating him to the Lord as I promised. I'm not backing out because God has been so good to me. Who am I to say, oh, never mind, God. I don't really appreciate the gift that you gave me. God delivered. And so I will deliver for him. She never wavers. And then... It really strikes me what Elkanah has to say in verse 23, her husband. 
He says, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. What does that mean? How can we put that in contemporary language? Well, one way is this. What Elkanah is saying to Hannah is, let God complete what he has begun. This child came from God. This child was created by God. This child is known by God in a more intimate way than even his mom and dad can know him. This child is here as a result of God. So let God complete what he has begun. God began this precious life. And now it's time for us to give this child back over to the purposes of God. So that God can complete what he started. In verses 24 and 25, Hannah takes the child to Shiloh. She worships the Lord and and sacrifices uh, to him. And in verse 26, listen to this. She gets up there. She has the child and she runs into Eli, the priest, the one who thought that, you know, she had had a little too much to drink, the one who blessed her. Listen to what she says. Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. Do you remember me? I was here not all that long ago and I was praying and you thought I was crazy. And then you knew that I wanted a child. Do you remember me? I was the one who had no children. I was the barren one. And you blessed me. And now look, look, look what God has done. It's me. She says, for this child I prayed. And we know that line, don't we? And the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is lent to the Lord. God has given me this child. I'm giving this child back to him. The child that she had so yearned for and longed for, she surrenders to God's purposes. Now, our favorite line from the whole story is this one. For this child I prayed. We see this line. uh, When people of faith have children, we see it out on social media and We love to repeat this. Uh, When we pray for children and God delivers. But the second part of what Hannah said is much less popular. Hannah says, for this child I prayed and since God has given me this child, I want God to use him for his purposes and for his glory. You see, it's very easy to pray, God give us children. God bless us with kids. It's much harder to pray, may these children be a blessing to you. That can be a scary prayer. That feels like a dangerous prayer. Because we don't know what kind of what kind of life, you know, what that life will entail. If we want God to use our kids for his glory, Well, that might mean in this world that our kids experience difficulty. Personal discomfort. Persecution. It's easy to say, bless us with children. It's much harder to say, God, work through my kids to bring glory to you. 
God, may these kids live a life of faithfulness to you. May these kids be a blessing to you. When we start praying that, we don't know how God's going to bring that about. And so we just want to pray the first part and leave the second part out. But Hannah does not. Hannah says, I'm giving him back over to God because God has given him to me. And so I have lent him to the Lord. And that language is very striking because in truth, it is God who does the lending. God has lent his children to us. They're his kids. He created them. They belong to him. They are on loan to us. He entrusted them to us so that we may raise them to love him and be faithful to him. It's God who lends his kids into into our presence. You know, the hardest yet most important task of moms and dads and grandkids and whoever raises children is giving their children back to God. Giving their kids back to God. Now, maybe some of you are asking still, why would I want to do that? Why would we do this? Well, it's because they're His. And He created them. And He made them to dwell in a relationship with Him. And their fullest potential can only be realized in that relationship with God. That's why they're here. To to be in communion with God now and forevermore. And so the question is how. And the how is different than back back in these days. Hannah makes a vow. She takes her son to be raised in the temple under the leadership of Eli. Listen, don't bring your kids up to the church building and leave them in mine or Alex's care. That's not how it works today. We're not interested in them living up here with us. Here's how it can work today. How can we do this today? We do this by teaching them the character and the will of God in the home. Some of our kids know more about the lineup of a baseball team or the cast of a Disney movie than they do about the Word of God. And we are not doing our job as parents if our kids don't know more about the character and the will of God than they know about worldly things. We give them every opportunity to learn of God's ways from their church family. There are countless opportunities for your children to learn about who God is, about the Holy Scriptures from Bible classes, from vacation Bible school, from devotionals and worship services, the opportunities are endless. And if we really care about our kids, if we really want to hand them back over to God so that they can do service in His name, we will give them every opportunity to, to grow in His knowledge so that when the time comes, when they come of age, they will ha- have been given every reason to name the name of Jesus and follow Him as Lord. We do this by not trying to live out our shallow dreams through our children. We are not primarily concerned with their excellence in the classroom or in a sport or in some other skill. We are most concerned with their excellence in godliness. Our greatest desire is not that they be happy, but that God would use them for His glory. And the how. How can we do this today? We encourage our young people who feel called into the ministry or the mission field, I'm afraid that maybe not explicitly, but but sometimes it's implied there's some discouragement because we know that that's a challenging way of life to be a preacher, to to be a missionary. We know there are difficulties that accompany that, and so we gently steer our children in other directions 
And listen, you can serve God in almost any occupation, but the church at the present day is in need of more preachers and more ministers and more missionaries. And if your kid feels called to serve God in a full-time way, please do not discourage them. They need to be encouraged, and we as a church family need to provide counsel and support and resources to encourage their effectiveness. Our kids belong to God. And the question is, do we have the courage that Hannah did to hand them back over to his purposes? There's a little detail, and it, it really makes me a little emotional when I read it in the Scriptures. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 19. What we see here is a few years down the road. And Samuel has been living up at the temple with Eli. Hannah has kept her end of the bargain. And listen to what happens when Hannah and her husband and the rest come to visit the temple at Shiloh. Verse 19 in chapter 2 says, His mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. She would sew for him a little garment for him to wear in the service of God in the temple under the leadership of Eli. And I think that little detail says, says it all about Hannah. It says to me that Hannah loves this boy. She loves her son. She had waited for him for years and years. But she loves God even more. And she knows that God loves her son more than she or Elkanah or any human being ever could. God loves him best. And God loves you. God loves you so much that you know what he did? He did something similar to Hannah. He gave up his own son. Not just for a greater purpose, but for the greatest purpose of all, and that is to give you salvation. And you have a chance to become one of God's kids today. You have an opportunity to become a child of God by confessing the name of Jesus Christ, by naming Him as your Lord, and by being buried in that watery grave of baptism. You'll come up a new creature. You'll come up a child of God, ready to serve God and to show Him how grateful you are for the greatest gift that you've ever received. The gift of His one and only Son. If you need prayers for any reason, this is the time to come and ask for those. If you need to be restored, if you need to rededicate your life to God, we want you to come right now as we stand and sing.